This episode is sponsored by Versify. Versify is a show where people tell their stories and then hear their words turned into poetry. The poets listen carefully as people tell stories, then they take what they hear and they turn those words into original poems. Then they recite them back to the storyteller. Here's how host Joshua Moore describes Versify. In every episode of Versify, we focus in on one person's story, paying special attention not only to what they say, but the way they say it. Inside these small exchanges, our poets form connections with their storytellers. They gain insights into their lives because they care to listen closely. There's honestly a sort of magic in the way these writers can take the briefest intimacy, weave it into a work of art, and offer it back as a gift, not only to our participants, but also to our listeners. Versify is a show from Nashville Public Radio and PRX. Stories and poems are gathered with the help of The Porch, which is a nonprofit literary center. And the host, Joshua Moore, is a 27-year-old local poet and Nashville native who helped develop The Porch's existing Poetry on Demand project. In addition to launching Versify, he's working on his MFA in the prestigious Vanderbilt University Creative Writing Program. You can find Versify on your podcatcher of choice or visit versifypodcast.com. That's V. E-R-S-I-F-Y podcast.com. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 215, and today we are talking about books being released on July 2nd, 2019, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello! Hello there! It feels like it's been so long since we did this, and I'm like running in slow motion down the beach into your arms. (laughs) It's true. I feel more like Grace and Frankie, though. Me, myself, personally, (laughs) at the end of like the last season on the beach. Yeah, I'll take that too. (laughs) I'm ready to age into my decades of moo-moos. It's time. Well, it has been a while because I think we recorded two weeks early because of BEA travel. We which did. Yeah. You had to do and I did ended up not doing so. <laughs> so it's been here a while. We are. Yeah. Um, before we get started, would you like me to tell you about today's sponsor? Or one of I today's absolutely sponsors? Would. I yes, please. Today's episode of All the Books is sponsored by The Best Lies by Sarah Liu. Remy Tsai used to know how her story would turn out. She was happy once. Remy had her boyfriend, Jack, and Elise, her best friend, her soulmate, who understood her better than anyone else in the world. But now Jack is dead, shot through the chest, and it was Elise who pulled the trigger. Was it self-defense or something darker than anything Remy could have imagined? As police investigate, Remy does the same, sifting through her own memories, looking for a scrap of truth that could save the friendship that meant everything to her. Gone Girl meets suicide notes from beautiful girls in this mesmerizing debut novel from Sarah Liu about a toxic friendship that turns deadly. From the very first page, readers know how the story begins and ends with a suspicious death and who the killer is, and in between is the compelling page-turner story exploring the why. In The Best Little Lies, the readers must decide along with Remy what to believe and where exactly friendship turns from loving to obsessive, full of drama, intrigue, and the twisted psychology of obsession, and how obsession can poison even the sweetest of friendships. That's The Best Lies by Sarah Liu. And I was going to read that for the show today, but then they were a sponsor, which was like, yay, because (laughs) Jamie, who does our mystery newsletter and is all about everything mystery, this is one of her favorite books of the last few weeks, so I'm still looking forward to reading it. I'm definitely going to check it out soon. I love an obsessive friendship thriller. Yeah. And of course, you know, 
you have that secret history angle where you know exactly who did it mm-hmm. at the beginning and then, you know, have to find out why. Yeah, and then it and, unwinds. Yeah, it's good Such stuff. a fun setup. Yeah. All right. Well, well, let's talk about books we did read. Yes. Um, so everything that I have today is about death and sadness. Oh, no. <laughs> it just worked out that way. Um, but These I'm going to embrace sometimes. it. Yeah, that's where I am. So um, this first book that I'm going to talk about is a mystery. It's a thriller. So trigger warning for um, sexual assault, uh, murder, horribleness. Uh, so getting that out of the way. I absolutely love this book. It's called Second Sight, and it's by Eva Clifford. And she's very, like, Jane Harper. She's another Australian author, and I think that Jane Harper is a good comparison. Like, I I feel comfortable making that comparison. Um, I actually read her first book, uh, which, of course, the title I'm forgetting now, All the Perfect Strangers, I think, um, which I enjoyed. So this is not, it's not a series, so this one is a standalone It's about a woman named Eliza. She is a lawyer, and she is returning to her hometown in Australia after a series of devastating wildfires has destroyed much of the town. She hasn't been there, like, in a long time, and then there were these fires, and she's going back. Um, And she's literally, like, on her way back. She's stuck in traffic when she sees an old school friend of hers from when she was young lose his temper Start smashing up, a, get out of his car in this traffic jam, start smashing up a car, and then when a man goes to intervene, he he beats this man to death in the oh, road. Oh, no. And then runs off. And she's like, you know, what What did I just see? And so this is, like, horribly awful. This is a terrible way to come home. And now the police are looking for this man, Luke. They, you know, think he's hiding in town somewhere. And while that's going on, being back home is bringing up memories of her best friend, Gracie, who went missing after a party out by the castle, which is this historic building, restaurant, slash home that kids used to party at, and the town has a big party, like a secret party every year. Her friend was at this party. She she disappeared, or she left, and no one's ever seen her again. So she starts thinking about this. And now back when Gracie disappeared, her father was a police officer. Um, He took a statement from a man who saw Gracie getting on a train. You know, they checked all these leads... They never found her, but they assumed that she had left. She was having some problems. She was upset. And, you know, and then there's her sister, her older sister, who she sort of butt heads with. She never gets, she never got along with her. Her sister thinks that she gets away with everything. She thinks her sister is stuck up and horrible. And so she, you know, visiting with her while she's back home is not going very well. Um, And, but she also like runs into some old classmates and, you know, there's some new sparks with some people that she used to know. Um, and as she's talking to them, she's realizing she has, like, more questions about what happened to Gracie and begins to wonder, like, why wasn't this checked out? And, you know, why would someone say this? And then, uh, in their search for Luke, who is still loose in the town somewhere, uh, they uncover bones out by the castle. And so now she's convinced that, you know, Gracie is buried out here and she never left the grounds. But also... She's not going to be very popular when the people of the town find out that she is there as a lawyer representing the electric company who doesn't want to pay. They're saying that the fires were caused by um, a malfunction in the equipment, and the electric company is saying, no, it's not us. It was it was an error due to, like, or, like, a spark from somebody smoking or something like that. And so she's actually there representing the enemy. So they're not going to be very happy when they find out that that's why she's there. So whose bones are they? Where's Luke? <laughs> What's happening? 
It's really good. It's really good. I call this I call this kind of mystery like Occam's taser because <laughs> you're like really sure that the outcome is like the most obvious one and it's going to be correct and then when it isn't you're shocked. So Occam's taser. <laughs> so I love it. yeah, so it was really good. So again, it is called Second Sight, and it is by Aoife Clifford, and that's A O I F E. I had no idea how to pronounce that. I had to look it up. It's pretty cool. All right. My first pick this week came out last week. It's called I Like to Watch, Arguing My Way Through the TV Revolution by Emily Nussbaum. If you are a TV person and an internet person, you probably recognize she's the TV critic for The New Yorker. She's wonderful on Twitter, if you're still on Twitter, which I'm really not, but I still like her. And this is a collection of essays about television. Um, She starts with telling the story of how she became a TV person. She was in grad school studying something like super impressive and like flipped on the TV and got sucked into an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer that just blew her mind and changed the way that she thought about television and thought about like what TV could mean and sort of realized like really in the scope of first watching this one episode and then becoming an obsessive Buffy fan that you could take an intellectual approach to television, that it's not just the idiot box uh, in the way that people talk about it. So she writes about that and then about uh, sort of her conversion story to becoming a person who loves TV And most of the pieces in the book are essays that were previously published either in The New Yorker or in various magazines analyzing particular TV shows. I was really like pleasantly surprised. I love TV. I I watch a lot of it. And there were a lot of shows that I've watched as well. So I got to read like her take on The Sopranos, her take on Breaking Bad, her take on um, Broad City and Girls, and just all sorts of stuff that's been happening on TV in the last like 15 or 20 years. It was really fascinating. There's some histories of um, television shows that were like groundbreaking in the 70s. Uh, She writes about Norman Lear, she writes about Joan Rivers, and about sort of like the political risks that some showrunners have taken that agendas that they've set out to explore and sometimes how that works and sometimes how it backfires. Uh, There's a new essay, a big one, um, written during the year of Me Too, in which she wrestles with that question of like, can you separate the art from the artist? Should we? How does that work? What do you do when like you already love a work of art by someone that it turns out is a monster. Um, and then there are also three big in-depth profiles with different showrunners that were really fun to read. Like there's one with the showrunner of Blackish, which I've only ever seen a few episodes of Blackish, but reading um, about his life and getting like a deep dive into what that show is about and the origins of it made me want to go watch the whole thing. I just love Nussbaum's perspective that television should be taken seriously, that you can read television in the way that you read a book and understand things about culture and about art through it. And like, she's not afraid to write a pan. And there's a couple of those in the book too, that are like just very well done negative reviews. Um, Each essay comes with a little bit of context at the top about like when she wrote it or what was going on at the time that she wrote it, you get the year that it came out. So you sort of know like where in the world we were when this happened. Um, And there's a great piece about lost about like what it is to be, a like diehard fan of a thing and then to be disappointed by the way 
that it ends and like what do showrunners owe or not owe to their audiences. It's really, really wonderful if you're a person who likes to watch a lot of TV and it made me want to go check out some shows that I hadn't seen before. So that's I Like to Watch by Emily Nussbaum. All right. My next pick, trigger warning for mentions of murder and suicide. It is Lock Every Door by Riley Sager. I didn't read his one last year. Um, if I remember correctly, I don't remember anymore, but I did read the one before that, The Final Girls, which I really enjoyed. And this one I really enjoyed. It is about a house-sitting job from hell. There's a young woman named Jules Larson. She has no job. She has been laid off. And in coming home early from work, because she has been laid off, she catches her boyfriend uh, having sex with someone else. So now she has no boyfriend and she has no home because he kept the apartment um, she has no family. Her sister was abducted or went missing when she was a teenager, and her parents have both passed away. So Jules is pretty much on her own now. Uh, and so she's sleeping on her friend Claire's couch, and she sees an ad for an apartment sitter at the Bartholomew. The Bartholomew is a very prestigious, mysterious building in New York City, uh, much like the Dakota where people don't really know who lives there, and it's like a zillion dollars to buy an apartment there. And not only that, but it's also the subject of a children's book uh, that uh, Jules and her sister Jane read when they were young. And so she's very excited to go talk about this job opportunity. And when she gets there, she finds out that they need an apartment sitter because the rules of the building are such that the owner of this apartment has passed away and it cannot be left empty while the family is in litigation trying to decide who who gets it. And so she's like, okay, sounds interesting. Um, but, you know, rich people are eccentric and, you know, rules are weird. And so she also can't have any visitors and she cannot spend a single night away from the apartment. And they need her to stay there for three months. And mm. she will get $1,000 a week just for staying in this, like, apartment and shows her the apartment very posh, very fancy, two floors, top of this building, looking out over Central Park. You know, she's just like, yeah. And the woman's like, if you want the job, it's yours. And so she takes it. But really, she's thinking it's too good to be true. Um, because, spoiler, it is. Oh, boy. So immediately, her she tells her friend Claire, like, I got this job. And Claire is, you know, in the horror movies, what we call the voice of reason. It was like, that doesn't sound like a normal job. That sounds weird. I've heard strange things about that building. She's like, listen, I really I really need this money. And Claire's like, okay, well, I'll come over and we'll talk about it. She's like, sorry, you can't come over. And she's like, okay, this is really weird. And she's like, that's just how it is. You know, and she needs the money, so she's going to stay. But almost immediately, she starts hearing noises in the night. She starts thinking, like, the wallpaper that is supposed to be flowers sort of looks like screaming faces looking at her. Um, she opens a link that Claire sends her about the history of the building. And there have been several... Unusual deaths, starting with the owner of the building, the guy who had it built, um, Thomas Bartholomew, who ended up jumping from the top of the building after it was completed. So she's like, this is kind of weird. And then she finds out that the last person who was apartment sitting in the apartment that she is in is missing. And so in kind of like thinking like, maybe I should get out of here. She makes friends with another apartment sitter who lives downstairs, who also has reservations about the building. Um, but there is a cute doctor who lives across the hall from her, so he might be worth sticking around for. But then another apartment goes, another apartment sitter goes missing, and so she is not sure that she is going to get out of this building alive. It's like, 
I have read enough thrillers that I'm constantly questioning everything and everyone, no matter what. Like, <laughs> is this person, like, really a good person? Or is this bad person really the bad person? You know, there's a dog. I've I've heard about Son of Sam. Is the dog responsible? Like, <laughs> is the lady's chihuahua downstairs? Like, is he, the, you know? Like, I'm just always like, is, I don't trust anyone ever, you know? So, but I also find that to be really fun because, mm-hmm. you know, is it like, are these people who they say they are? Or is it going to be like the Wicker Man, where, you know, she goes in and she trusts the victims, and then blammo, you know, she's got like a bee cage on her head. Um, So it's just really fun to do that. It's like a good old-fashioned creeper in the vein of Ira Levin, you know, Rosemary's Baby, um, Stepford Wives. But, I mean, he dedicates the book to Ira Levin. Like, it's sort of written in that style. So if you like, like, those old, like, 70s novels and mysteries, you know, sort of like Scooby-Doo-ish kind of stuff, it's really fun. So it's called Lock Every Door, and it's by Riley Sager. All right, we're going to take a hard right turn (laughs) (laughs) for my my next pick. Uh, It's called The Way Through the Woods on Mushrooms and Mourning by Lit Woon Long, uh, or Lit Long Lit Woon, I'm sorry, uh, depending on which listing for the book you're looking at. But when Long Lit Woon was a young woman, she went from Malaysia to Norway as an exchange student. And while she was there, she met and fell in love with this man that she eventually married. And they lived, they had a wonderful life together for several decades. When they were in their early 50s, he died unexpectedly. And in the wake of grief from that and in just trying to like claw her way back to life, she signs up for a beginner's course on mushrooming. She and her husband had been planning to take it together and she decides like, I can go do this thing. I'm going to try to like get back to the world. Um, And she finds that this is exactly what she needs to feel connected again. Um, Some of it is the joy of learning something new. There are like a jillion different kinds of mushrooms and there's a, it's a fascinating sort of scientific inquiry. Uh, The book is packed with interesting things that she learns about mushrooms. Some of the magic for her is just that when you're like, even from the first class, you learn some things about mushrooms and then you go out into the woods and you start looking for them. And that requires you to be like fully present in the physical place and in the moment. And she finds that that feels really good. But also there's this community of people that develops in the class where they only know each other as fellow mushroom-obsessed people. They're not talking about what happens in their lives outside. She doesn't have to talk about this thing that she's going through grieving her husband's death. She just gets to be like one more person geeking out on something that they find interesting. Sort of all of those things come together to form like something that essentially like brings her back to life in a way it saves her um the book is it's so beautiful it feels like it's in the vein of H's for hawk um which helen mcdonald wrote after her father died and she decided to train hawks as a way to channel her grief um i am into this kind of book like what it takes humans to get through really difficult experiences and there's the beauty inside all of that um that resilience i find to be really inspiring and this is one of those moments like you never know where it's going to come from she took a class on mushrooming and this became like a passion in her life but also a way that she connected with other people and ultimately reconnected with herself and her desire to you know get back to a full and wonderful life as she moved through grieving her husband it will probably make you cry um if 
you're into books like this, you're probably used to crying anyway when you read these kinds of things. It's really lovely and quiet and like exactly the kind of thing that I wanted to read on like a very hot summer weekend when I was just sitting inside wanting to like be in a a calm, cool place. And there's just sort of that quality about the writing as well. So that's The Way Through the Woods on Mushrooms and Morning by Long Lit Woon. I'm terrified of mushrooms. Are you? Yeah. I don't because eat them. You could, is it like because you could accidentally eat a poisonous one? Yeah. So do okay. you remember The Horse Whisperer? Do you remember that novel, Nicholas Evans? Oh, yeah. It was, like, it was like, you know, 15, 20 years ago. It was huge, like huge. You did The Horse Whisperer and The Smoke Jumper and like The Loop. And he was like raking in the cash and was going to be huge, like Nicholas Sparks or, you know, um, Olivia Goldsmith, like way back then, like the lady who wrote First Wives Club. And he misidentified mushrooms that he picked in the woods and fed them to his family, and they all nearly died. Eee! And he he's been sitting on the sidelines since then, like getting better, you know, kind of kind of changed his perspective on things. And I was just like, yeah, I'm never eating a mushroom ever. <laughs> after <laughs> like, nope. After I heard that, um, very like very scary. Like so lucky that they all maybe they all made it. Yeah, maybe don't eat, like wander into the woods and pick mushrooms. Yeah. The grocery store is probably okay. Mm, I don't know. I've seen some of the people in the grocery <laughs> store. <laughs> All right. Well, before we roll on, let me tell you about our next sponsor. It is Kingdom of Exiles by Maxim M. Martineau. Exiled charmer Lena Edenfrell is running out of time. Empty pockets forced her to sell her beloved magical beasts, an offense that's punishable by death, and now there's a price on her head. With the realm's most talented murderer for hire nipping at her heels, Lena makes knock an offer he can't refuse. Powerful, mythical creatures in exchange for her life. Plagued by a curse that kills everyone he loves, Nock agrees to Lena's terms in hopes of finding a cure. Never mind that the dark magic binding the assassin's oath will eventually force him to choose between Lena's continued survival and his own. Kingdom of Exiles is Maxim M. Martineau's debut. It's winning praise from New York Times bestselling authors like Dorinda Jones and C.L. Wilson. Jones praises Martineau as a powerful new voice in fantasy romance and a bona fide genius. The New York Times included Kingdom of Exiles on its four delicious new romance novels list and called it a lush and sweeping swords and sorcery romance. Martineau's writing is unputdownable and has rich and clever world buildings. It's perfect for fantasy fans, and it's been described as fantastic beasts and where to find them meets Assassin's Creed. Fantasy romance is a fast-growing subgenre and fans are rabid for more. So good news, this is the first in a three-book series. The second, the second and third installments are slated for publication next year, so you won't have to wait long if you're getting into this. Again, that is Kingdom of Exiles by Maxim M. Martineau. All right. I also wanted okay. to read that one for the show. Sponsor, so. <laughs> Foiled again! Yeah! On the days where, like, I have more books than I know what to choose from, I'm like, oh, and then we have, you know, <laughs> different sponsors. But on the days where I'm like, I desperately need something else, it's like, the sponsor! So, like, yay for us, but, you know, <laughs> foiled! <laughs> is What's it my turn? I, it, it is your turn. I'm like, la la la, it's my turn! My next pick, um, just wanted to let you know there will be a discussion of um, illness and death and child illness and cancer. Uh, it is Symptoms of a Heartbreak by Sona Cherapatra. It is a young adult novel about Syra. She is a 16-year-old Indian-American teen. And it is her first day of work as a doctor. 
She is a, a real-life Doogie Howser. And by real life, I mean real life in this novel. She's not a real person. Um, and she's been dubbed the girl genius. The newspapers have had a field day with her her whole life. She graduated a seven-year medical school in four years. Uh, she's specializing in oncology, specifically uh, children with cancer. And it's her first day of work. She's very excited. Um, she has to get a ride with her mother because she doesn't have her license yet. She's working on that. Um, her mother is a doctor at the hospital as well. Um, she's she's very um, looked up to. She's very revered. And so she immediately, her mother makes them late. So she's late for her first day. She butts head with her supervisor who just seems to absolutely hate her no matter what she can say. One of the other doctors is jealous of her because you know she's getting special attention and they think she's getting special treatment because her mother works there. And also, she's 16 years old. So people are like, I don't want that teenager coming near me. And she's like, but I've been to medical school and I'm a doctor. And they're like, yeah, we don't care. You know, so she's kind of like having a rough time the first few days. Um, you know, this doctor that works with her is just, it's just an absolute jerk to her. And even her own aunt, um, when her, when her little cousin uh, falls ill, her own aunt is like, you are not a real doctor. Do not, you know, get out of the way. Do not come near my child. Uh, so she has to work like twice as hard to prove herself. Um, her best friend is Vish. He is um, her age. He's gay. Uh, but everyone thinks that he's her boyfriend because he hasn't come out. And so they spend a lot of time together. So her mother is like, you know, I have a daughter. She's a doctor. She's going to marry this other guy. He's going to be a doctor. It's going to be great, you know. But she really, she's like, mm, she's having a hard time. And then she meets a boy named Link. He is her age. He's a musician. He is a patient there at the hospital and in that way that things happen, she doesn't let on to the fact that she's actually a doctor. Like, when he sees her, she's not wearing her coat, and he assumes that she's a patient there. Um, and she's just absolutely smitten with him. He wants to be on this TV show called Rock, uh, Punk Rock Boot Camp, I think it was called. He, like, wants to be a musician. Um, and she reads his chart, and she sees that, like, things are not looking good for him. Uh, and she doesn't know what to do, but she wants to find some way to help him. Um, it's like a good blend of, she's a teen, like she's 16 years old, like yes, she's a doctor, but she's 16 years old. Her phone is like buzzing constantly with like texts from her friends, the doctors are always like frowning at her because her pocket's buzzing all the time. Um, she gets in fights with her friends, you know, her friends sometimes, they get mad at her, they're like, you know, you use big words and you think you're better than us because you're a genius, and you know, she asks her sister for advice about boys and makeup. But it also is, she doesn't get enough credit, you know? She is a teen, yes, but, like, she's a genius, and she's a doctor, and really, adults are just teens that can drink legally, right? Like, I mean, when we were little kids, <laughs> we thought that the adults were so smart, and they were in charge, and they knew everything, and then you realize when you get to be a grown-up that the teachers are going home, and they're, you know, getting drunk and staying out all night, and, like, being wild, and that's why you have movie day, because they're hungover, like you realize, like, adults are just kids. It's the same thing. You know, and she doesn't get enough credit. And so, I like, really like that blend of it. And the reason that she wants to be a doctor is because when she was very little, uh, her best friend Harper died of cancer. And it sort of set Syra on her path to becoming an oncologist. Um, but there are as many laughs as tears. And I really loved the sense of community. She, had a, she has a really big family, and I loved their interactions. And also, she does this little thing in her head where when she meets somebody... She gives a diagnosis and a prognosis. So, like, when she makes, meets the doctor who is, like, a real jerk to her, you know, diagnosis, narcissist, prognosis, take him down. You know, it's just... <laughs> and she does that, like, about a lot of people. So, I really enjoyed it. It's fun. It's called Symptoms of a Heartbreak, and it's by Sona Cherapatra. 
All right. Um, my next one this week is called Casting into the Light, Tales of a Fishing Life by Janet Messineo. Um, I really loved this memoir because I love stories about people doing things that they're not like stereotypically cast to do. Um, she became a champion striped bass fisherman, fisherwoman, uh, and it's really uncommon for women to do that. Surf casting is really difficult and also scary because you're fishing at night, like on the beach in the total darkness by yourself for large fish that can be difficult to catch. People hurt themselves. Um, people have like accidentally drowned, getting, you know, pulled out into the surf or um, pulled under the water. There are, it's a risk. It's a risk to take. And she writes about um, how she fell in love with the idea of becoming a fisherman and then sort of the unusual childhood and young adult experiences that made it possible, um, including like spending a summer on Martha's Vineyard and being kind of a hippie in the 70s, like living in a, a little bit of like an alternative lifestyle um, that gave her access to like access to and also freedom to explore this thing that not a lot of women were doing at the time. Not a lot of women are still doing it now. Um, like a lot of how I got to now memoirs, there's, you know, looks at the jobs that she had when she was coming up and experiences that she had learning how to fish and like the cast of interesting and colorful and weird and fun characters that she meets along the way that have transformed her life. Um, and then her whole, I mean, really her whole life has been shaped by um, by fishing, by people that she's encountered in that community. She ultimately gets married and has a child and writes about um, those experiences and also how the sort of power of, I guess you could think of fishing as a practice. I was going to say like the power of her fishing practice, and I think it feels that way to her, um, helps her to get clean from drugs and alcohol as well. Um, it's a big sort of life story all through the lens of um, of fishing and of loving to be outside in the world in this very particular way. And it includes a bunch of recipes, I think a few dozen recipes um, for cooking fish. So that's like a nice little bonus. But as a person, like I love the outdoors. I love the beach. Um, I could imagine what these experiences would be like and sort of color in around the ways that, that she writes about it. I really, really enjoyed it. So that's Casting Into the Light, Tales of a Fishing Life by Janet Messineo. Okay, my last pick for today is Girls Like Us by Christina Alger. It is, coincidentally, has a similar plot to the book that I read last year called Sweet Little Lies by Kaz Freer, who has mm. a new book out today called Stone Cold Heart. Uh, in that, um, it is what happens when you uh, are a police officer and your father is the suspect in a killing. Uh, so this one is about a woman named Nell Flynn, she is an FBI agent. She has been away from her home for, for many years, uh, and she returns to Long Island because her father has died in a motorcycle accident. Um, before I go any further, I should probably mention again, murder, horribleness, you know, just all my books are so dark this week. <laughs> um, so she returns home. Her father has been killed in a motorcycle accident. She's going to close up his house, deal with all his stuff, spread his ashes. Um, and they were not close at all. She and Martin did not really get along. Uh, he was a homicide detective, and um, when Nell was young, when she was seven, her mother was murdered, um, and she's never really come to terms with that, and she didn't want to stick around Long Island where it happens. Uh, but while she's back in Long Island, 
Uh, Martin's partner asks her for help on a case. You know, she works in the behavioral unit in, at the FBI, and he wants to get an idea of, like, who who put a profile together of who could have killed these two young women uh, on Long Island. And so she agrees to do that. She starts digging into this case, and it turns out that all clues point to her father. All clues point to Martin being the perpetrator of these crimes. And not only that, but she gets the sense that they are trying to cover up that fact at the police station. Uh, and so now Nell has to face the fact that her father may be a killer several times over, and that the testimony that she gave as a child uh, in her mother's murder case allowed him to walk free. You know, so is she going to be an FBI agent and, you know, do something about this, or is she going to be a daughter and sweep it under the rug? She doesn't know what she's going to do. And in the book, we go back and forth between, you know, present day and her investigation, and then when she was young and her memories. And you have to figure out, like, is her dad the killer? It's really good. Uh, again, Jamie from Book Riot, who does the mystery newsletter. This was her other, like, favorite book of the last few weeks. So I just basically get all my mystery recommendations for her, her now. Uh, so it is called Girls Like Us, and it's by Christina Alger. Look, you could do a lot worse than let Jamie pick out all of your mystery thrillers it's for true. you. It's <laughs> true. Um, my last pick this week is In at the Deep End by Kate Davies. It came out um, earlier this month at the beginning of June. And I believe it sponsored this show, or maybe it was a sponsor on the Book Riot podcast. At some point, I was reading the talking points for it and was like, I need to read this book. And so now I have. It's being billed as like a queer Bridget Jones. It's about a young woman in her 20s. She lives in London. She's been dating men and just like is underwhelmed by the experience, but she has accepted that maybe like this is all there is. Maybe it's just underwhelming. Uh, at the end of a long-term relationship, she's uh, she has a one-night stand that like really goes kind of catastrophically, and she decides to take a break, um, to take a break from the men for a while. Uh, and then discovers that like it's maybe not dating that's the problem, it's that she's she's gay and that's why dating men is not working for her. She meets a woman that she has a like literally life altering experience with and comes to understand that she's a lesbian. So once Julia realizes this, it's kind of like, you know, if you go over to visit a friend's house and the friend has a kid and the kid is like, so excited to see you that they bring all of their toys over and put them in front of you at once. And it's like, we could play with this thing or this thing or this thing or this other thing. Um, that's what this novel is for like discovering your sexual identity. Julia discovers that she's gay and she's so excited to finally be having great, positive, enjoyable experiences that she like, like goes in at the deep end. She, in the course of a couple of months has, um, how to be able to describe these things on a show that does not have an explicit rating. <laughs> um, she tries out like all of the toys and all the techniques and a couple of the um, more taboo so, uh, experiences that people can have related to their sexuality and related to relationships. And I like, I loved the book so much. Kate Davies lays it all out. So matter of factly, um, I will say now that I'm talking through it out loud, there should be a trigger warning here for emotionally abusive relationships and for manipulation, um, with partners. So if that's something that you're sensitive to, or like having a very controlling partner, you may want to watch out for one of the relationships in this book. Um, 
but it's just this like joyful the character is so excited and also like scared because she's never experienced this before she doesn't really know what she's doing but she just dives in trying to have all of the experiences and like get the most out of this period of discovery in her life um we get books like this usually about like young men discovering sex and it's so refreshing that it's a female main character and that she's not reliant on a male character at all to have this awakening about herself. Um, the Bridget Jones tone is kind of there. Like it's not, this isn't nearly as like slapsticky as Bridget Jones is, but it's definitely a young woman discovering herself. It's super sex positive. The cast of characters is really diverse, both in terms of racial diversity. And also there are a ton of LGBTQ characters that represent a you know spectrum of identities and ways of presenting um, within that community. So I loved that as well and um, thought it, it was a lot of fun. I'm also delighted that this looks like just like a fluffy beach read. And that probably a lot of people are going to pick it up in the airport and discover it's way spicier <laughs> than than they were expecting. Um, but really a lot of fun. Perfect for the summer. It's In at the Deep End by Kate Davies. Spicy from like the first page. Oh, yeah. I picked, Real spicy. I picked up, it's because it's been getting amazing reviews. And so then you were talking about how you were going to read it. And I, I looked around and I was like, oh, I have a copy. So I read the first 10 pages and I was like, it's delightful. So saucy right mm-hmm. off the bat, but so funny. So I'm definitely going to continue reading it. And you know yeah, that, I like, I'm a little, I'm kind of a prude when it comes to sex and books, but um, I, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Yeah, it's, like, very descriptive. Like, you you know how to do some things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's all right there on the page. So if you're a person who, like, in romance novels, if you tend to prefer, like, fade to black or closed door love scenes, this is not going to be your jam. Um, it's like, all, it's all very in your face with Kate Davies. And I, I love that she just owns that too. It's very unapologetic the way that, that this plays out and the conversations that Julia has with her friends and with her family as she's learning about herself and as she's coming out and navigating this new, new relationships and a new way of being in the world. Um, I think we're also pretty realistic. So that was great. If I, if I've heard correctly, the taboo thing that you're not supposed to do together in a relationship is shop at Ikea. Right, because that's like relationship. That's like ends it is a really, it's a really good way to have a fight. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing happens at IKEA in this novel, but you <laughs> you go to all kinds of other interesting places. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really it, it was it was a romp, like in the truest sense. <laughs> Okay. Well, those are new books and relatively new books and books that sponsored this show, but that we would have read anyway. Yeah, I'm still going to read them. I'm excited. So what are you going to read next? So I just mentioned this book on all the backlist last week, so I don't know if I should mention it again. But I'm going to anyway because it sounds so cool. It's called From Hell to Breakfast by Megan Tift. It's out from Unnamed Press, one of my favorite small indie presses out in October. It's about a young woman named Lucinda who has a boyfriend. His name is Dracula. Uh, he claims to actually be the Dracula that everyone knows from history. Um, he sleeps in a coffin, he drinks pigeon blood, and he only goes out at night. Uh, and she, for whatever reason, digs him. I mean, I haven't read the book. Despite these things, or because of these things, and also thinks that possibly he's not really Dracula, he's just an unhinged UPS driver with a night mm. shift. So, um, And then horrible crimes start happening, and she has to decide if like he's responsible. So oh, wow. I was like, I didn't realize I was so ready for like a vampire novel or maybe like a fake vampire novel. And then I got this, I was like, yes. 
That sounds perfect. Yes. Very excited. Where do you, I know what you're going to read next. Yeah. Like, I didn't even I, have to ask you. I know. I just started it last night. It's Erosions by Terry Tempest Williams. It's a collection of essays. Oh, Liberty. It's about nature and environmentalism and conservation and politics and humanity and struggling with all of those things since the 2016 election. And it's just perfect and beautiful. I read the first 50 pages last night. I have already had all the feelings that a person can have. I love Terry Tempest Williams so much. Um, what a gift to encounter yes. writers that can put on the page and articulate feelings that you've had, but could never give words to. She's so wise and I just can't wait to finish reading it. And then probably to like do what I did with when women were birds and go back to the beginning and read the whole thing over again. It's worth it. It comes out in October. So if you're listening to this and you're also a Terry fan, you should put that on your wish list right now. I got it last week and I squealed and squealed. Which, mm-hmm. when I first moved in with, with my boyfriend, like, I would get book mail that I was really excited about, and I'd be like, ah! He'd be like, what's, what, what's, what, what? <laughs> now, nothing, he doesn't say anything. You know, He's I like, used oh, to, like, she's just looking at a book again. He'd be like, what did you say? I was like, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to the cats. That used to happen all the time. Talking to the cats, 90% of the time. So now, so like, whenever I speak to him, he's, he's like, oh, oh, were you talking to me? Like, like, in seriousness, like, he's just learned that, like, most answers. Like, someday I'm yeah. going to be like, help come get this piano off my foot and he's not going to come because he's going to think I'm talking to the cat. This happens in our house all the time too where I'm like, what did you say? And it's like, no, I was talking to the dog. (laughs) I bet a lot of people identify with that. Probably so, yeah. All right. Well, that's our show this week. This was a pleasure. Yes. Always happy to be here with you. If you have thoughts, questions, feedback, whatever, you can send those to all the books at bookriot.com. You can tweet us if you so desire at Miss Liberty or Rebecca Shinsky, S C H I N S K Y, but I don't really tweet anymore, so do with that what you will. And if you are the Apple Podcast type and you'd like to leave a rating or review of the show, we would appreciate it and it helps other people find their way to us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, meantime, happy happy reading. reading.